the Minions with us this morning, and uh, they are on their way to Brazil, or back to Brazil, whichever the case may be, and uh, we've known them for a number of years. Uh, Mrs. Bishop and I have been here for, I don't know, 28 years, supported uh, their parents uh, since almost the beginning, so 30 years ago uh, when Jennifer was two, I think, uh, I've known her that long. And uh, just, I just make a, a comment, not to embarrass you at all, uh, and not uh, disparaging on your sisters because uh, they've got a great family. Uh, but uh, Jennifer has a heart to serve. We were sitting there at the house, and lunch was going on, and lunch was done, and my kids had disappeared because there was work to do, and and most of her uh, siblings had disappeared because there was work to do. And there was Jennifer in the kitchen, not wasn't asked. I was cleaning up, taking tables off, putting things putting things away. And she went downstairs, I said to her mom and dad, uh, there's a special young lady. And so she has had the, that desire and that character since uh, she was just a young lady. And I'm uh, very excited to have them here and watch them uh, going, partnering, uh, taking the gospel uh, this next generation back back to Brazil. Brother Minion, uh, come on up and uh, uh, tell us about yourself. Preach for us. And uh, don't go don't go easy on them. Uh, all right. Welcome to Lighthouse. Very thrilled to have Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it. If you take your Bibles this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Nehemiah, Old Testament book of Nehemiah. If you get to Psalms, you've gone too far. You can back up a little bit. It's good to be here this morning. Um, again, my name is Stephen Minion, my wife Jennifer. And uh, it's so privileged to be able to come, Pastor. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you for the hotel room and uh, taking good care of us in that way. We're looking forward to being with you uh, all day today. And then we're heading back to North Carolina tomorrow. We're just beginning deputation, just beginning raising support to go down to Brazil. And uh, uh, starting full-time in February next month, we're going to be every, every Sunday, every Wednesday for quite a while, um, traveling around the country and partnering with churches as we go. Pastor asked me to uh, share more of my testimony in the morning service, so I'll save some of that for then. Uh, But this morning, I I want us to look in Nehemiah, the first chapter, and speak to you on this subject, making an impact in our world. Making an impact in our world. Sometimes when we come to church on Sunday morning, everything just kind of gets whitewashed in our minds. We say, I'm going to set aside the job. I'm going to set aside the problems we have have with our neighbors, uh, the family dispute that's going on. I'm just going to kind of block that all out of my mind. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to worship the Lord. And in some sense, that is a good thing to be able to focus and say, I'm going to listen to what God has for me today. I'm going to worship him. But in another sense, we can't just compartmentalize our lives and say, well, this is church life and that's everything else life. So this morning, I want you to come with me in your mind to college campuses where one in five college students resort to cutting themselves or other types of self-harm. To basements of homes where nearly 45,000 Americans commit suicide and about a million try it every year. To the back alleys of our city where gangs run wild and violent. To drug houses where people go to numb their hurts and to find something exciting. To the cemetery where preachers grasp for something nice to say about someone who has lived his life not knowing and not caring about God. To the bars where men and women look for a bottle for relief from their guilt and pain, to the chanting crowds of people disgruntled with any and all authority, to the streets of Manhattan where time is gone and people are just currency, to the homes of drunkards where wives and children cringe to see dad come home at night. We could visit many other places and see the heartache, 
the disturbed lives, the ruined relationships, and the tired, broken people. And then we even read in the scriptures of the eternal separation from God that awaits every lost person, the death and torments and hell. Is there hope? Is there a solution for these people that we rush past in the grocery store and on the highway? Can something be done to help them? Can I do something? And if I can, how can I not do it? This world is a hurt, hurting and a broken place. Even in this room, there's hurting and broken people. Every place we turn our heads, we can see people looking for something to give life meaning. Now, it's not that God has forsaken man. Oh, no. But man has forsaken God. We keep him out of the schoolhouse, out of the White House, out of the theater, out of the concert halls, out of the clothing stores, out of the homes, even churches. God is left at the door. My friends, where would mankind be if God treated us the way that we often treat him? Is there anything that we can do? And if so, can we neglect to do? Let me tell you a story. There was a man who was burdened about the state of his people. His name was Nehemiah. He lived many years ago in another country. But as we look at his story this morning, we'll find he, he found something that he could do and he made himself available to the Lord. And the Lord did a great thing through his life. Can we pray together? And then we'll look into the scriptures. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to open the scriptures. Lord, I pray that you would do what I cannot, uh, that you would work in our hearts through your word, that you would teach us and that you would uh, convict us where needed. And Lord, I pray that you inspire us and compel us to go do what you've called us to do in this world and that we can make an impact there. Lord, we love you. I thank you for the opportunity to be together with this church family this morning. pray that you give us a good time together and that you would bless, uh, bless our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Nehemiah chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 1. We pick up the story. These are the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, the Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down. The gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open and that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word which thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if he transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if he turn unto me, and keep my commandments and do them. Though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of, he of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. 
Now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, this servant this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. Our story begins introducing a man named Nehemiah who heard the great affliction of his fellow countrymen miles and miles away. He learned of the reproach that they suffered at the hands of the enemies around them. He was told of the wall of Jerusalem all broken down, crumbled and lain in ashes, and his heart was burdened. As we open our eyes to see people around us trying to live without God and their lives falling apart because they do not possess Christ, our, our hearts will be burdened as our eyes see them. Instead of seeing people as rungs on a ladder to climb over, as drivers of slow cars or as annoying voices in the restaurant, we ought to see people as souls. Isn't it so easy to slip into that being annoyed at people? But no, the Lord would have us be burdened for others. We can learn a few things from Nehemiah if we're going to make an impact for God in a broken world. The first thing I notice about him is he knew people. He knew people. In verse 4, when he hears about this, it burdens his heart and he begins to pray, not just for himself, but for others. He knew that the reason he was sitting in a palace room in Persia, the servant of the king of Persia, was because Israel had rebelled against God. If not, he might have been living in Bethlehem or in Jerusalem or one of the other cities around Israel. But he realized that their hard lives and the reproach that they endured was not because of just social ills, not because the Persians were stronger than the Israelites, but because they had spiritually walked away from God. And God was just doing what he promised. If you leave me, I'm going to cast you all over the world. And that's what, would ha- that's what had happened. You know, every single social problem in our world is either outright sin or it developed because of sin. Sometimes you look at people's lives and it's, try- it's like trying to untangle a ball of thread. And, and you pull this end and it just makes this knot over here tighter and you've got to work to loosen up that one. And, and the whole thing's just a tangled mess as you're trying to unravel someone's life to set them on a good, on a good way. Every social problem in this world, because there are so few easy answers today. Oh, this will fix the economy. This will fix the abortion issue. This will fix our government. This will fix all the problems. Because sin has just complicated so much in life. There's no government or community program that's going to heal the disease by treating the symptom. Nehemiah knew people just didn't need to come back to Israel and have their lives made better. People needed to come back to God. And so Nehemiah looked at people and he saw the problems and he traced it correctly and said, here's the root. We've left God. We've sinned against God. Not only did Nehemiah know people, but he also knew God. I see this as he prays. You can learn a lot from someone by listening to them pray. You can learn about their, their communication. Their, their, as, as you hear them pray, you can hear how they have that familiarity with the Lord. And Nehemiah, listen to what he, what he says in verse 5. He says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him. And observe his commandments. A lot packed into that verse. 
the first, the first name he gives God, O oh Lord, it's capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's the name Jehovah. That's the personal name of God that God revealed to Moses. I, I tell my, my young girls, I say, that's like God's first name. It's the name that he often uses for himself when he wants to deal personally. It's the I am, the self-existent one. Nehemiah knew God, that he was Jehovah. He exists by himself. He needs no one or nothing. He also calls him, O Lord God of heaven. This God is not the God that has a, a metal idol set up on a shelf somewhere. This is the God of heaven. This is the God of heaven that controlled the, the whale in the book of Jonah. This is the God of heaven that Nebuchadnezzar bowed down to because he was not as powerful as the God who's in heaven. Many people, we follow false gods, we ask them to heal us, but only the true God of heaven can help. People need to see that the God of heaven is my God. Those living around us need to see that God is real, not because they watched a documentary on God, but they see him working in my life. They see the supernatural way that he leads me, the miraculous way he provides for my needs, the change that he works in my life because I am born a sinner just as everyone is. And he's changed me. And he's still changing me. People need to see that there is a God in heaven based on what, how they see me live my life. So Nehemiah knew people. He knew God. He knew God was great. It says the great and the terrible God. Nehemiah knows his God is well able to answer his requests. Sometimes we pray for our government and we think this is just, this is a useless prayer. You know, we, we pray for this, we pray for that in our lives, and we think, what, what, what good is this? I'm talking, you know, it feels like I'm talking to the ceiling. Well, Nehemiah didn't feel that way. He knew, he trusted God in heaven hears me when I'm praying. And I believe God is able to do what I am praying for. Do we pray that way? We pray God is able to do what I am asking for. This is not just a, well, I'm going to pray about it because I know I should, I'm a good Christian. But I believe God is powerful enough to actually do what I am praying for. This word great, it means you are way above average. God is considerably above average. And he can do anything. There is none like unto thee, O God, though thou art great, Jeremiah says. The psalmist said in Psalm 135, I know the Lord is great. And our Lord is above all gods. Do we believe he is great? Do we believe God is great enough to meet the needs of our neighbors? Do we believe God is great enough to send someone to tell the gospel to people in another country? Do we believe God is great enough to work in our country and see social issues in our lives that we just, wow, how can we fix this? Do we believe God could? Do we believe God can? God is great. Now this next word, great and terrible. A lot of times when you hear that word terrible today, we say, oh, that was a terrible meal. How'd you sleep last night? Terrible. There's another meaning of terrible that means that you inspire terror in someone. God inspires terror in demons. Remember those demons that Jesus was casting out of the maniac of Gadara? They said, don't throw us into hell. Let us go into the pigs. They were terrified of Jesus. One day every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is the Lord. That's going to inspire awe and reverence and fear in hearts. God is terrible. 
in that he brings he brings fear when we see who he really is. Can you read can you read the chapter six of the book of Isaiah where Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne and the cherubim around him saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah said, I am unclean. That's the same vision Nehemiah had of God. He is the great God. He is a God to be feared, respected, and obeyed. So he knew God. If we're going to reach those around us, if we're going to make an impact on the world, we must know God. And it must not be just dry textbook material. You open up a book and say, well, well, point number one, God is holy. Okay, I got that for the test. Point number two, God is love. Okay, I can quote a Bible verse on that. It's not just a dry textbook knowledge. No, we have to have experiential knowledge of the one who saved us. We need to walk with God. God is a person to know and to love. One to be his friend, to walk with, to let him instruct us as we go through life. To know his heartbeat. What does God love? That's what I'll love. What does God hate? That's what I'll hate. This is how we get to know the Lord is we read his word. We let it soak in our minds, even as our brother was leading in the Bible verse this morning. Letting that go through our minds and saturate our minds and clean our minds and fill our minds so that way we can know who God is. And as we do that, we get to know him. We get to see who he is. We get to feel the way that he feels. We get to understand things the way he understands things. We get to see people the way that he sees people. If we do not know God, and spend time with him, it's going to show up. We won't have any concern for the lost people. The world around us with all its brokenness isn't really going to bother us so much. Oh, we'll say a platitude of I'm sorry about that. But it's not going to change much of anything. Our heart's not going to be touched with the infinite love God shows the lost. Sin will be shallow. We're just going to say, oh, you know, I'm sorry, but we're not going to see the severity unless we know the holiness of God. Knowing God is a daily walk. It's not a list of facts. When we stop knowing God, we really have nothing of use we can offer others. The better we know God, the better we can trust God. And that's the next thing I see about Nehemiah. First, he knows people, he sees the issues that are going on, and he's burdened, and he knows God, that God can do something about it, and that God is great, and he is to be feared. But he trusts God. In verse 5 and 6, he he, he says, the, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. It was not that because God is in some far off place in heaven and there's no connection. God just wound up earth and lets it run by itself. No, God's involved here. And Nehemiah trusts that God would hear his prayer and do something because God is a covenant keeper. That I, that, that's the idea of he's a promise keeper. He keeps his promises. When God says something, he does it. When God says, this is how life works, that is how life works. Well, the evidence shows over here, just wait. Eventually, you're going to figure out what God said always is what happens. We can trust him. Has God kept his promises to man? Absolutely. Time and time and time again. There is not a single promise in the Bible that God has not kept. Except for the ones that he's still fixing on keeping. There's a few left for the end times that he's still going to do. And we can trust that he's going to do those because he kept all of them all the way along. Nehemiah, at his point in life, 
lived a long time before Christ came to earth. But he knew the covenant of Noah. Nehemiah could look around and say, hey, the earth is never flooded again. In fact, I see a rainbow from time to time to remind me that God keeps his promises. He could see the covenant that God gave to Abraham when God said his descendants were going to grow to be as many as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. And Nehemiah could look around and say, I do know a sure a lot of Jewish people. I don't know them all. There's a ton of them. He could look at the promise that God gave Abraham that he was going to give him the promised land, the land of Canaan. And now Nehemiah is way over in Persia, but he could say, hey, you know, God, God fulfilled his promise. He gave him the land of Canaan when Joshua came in and, and took Jericho and then Ai and then took all the other cities and divided up the land. God fulfilled that promise to Abraham. There's another promise that God fulfilled as well. And that's the one that Nehemiah quotes here. In verse 8, remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you among abroad among the nations. That's the promise Nehemiah calls to attention. It's it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 23 and following. You know, Nehemiah uses a lot of scripture in his prayer. It's pretty neat. He quotes that promise in Deuteronomy 4. He also references a scripture in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy chapter 9, and Deuteronomy chapter 30. And he brings in different promises God had made in his word, and he said, Lord, remember what you said. Remember what you said. When you don't know what to pray, remember what God said and pray that. Say, I'm not sure how to pray for my friend and the hard time they're going through. Well, there's a few things that God always says you can pray for. Colossians. Colossians 1 has a great prayer. Uh, when I read some of the prayers of Paul, I'm praying always for you. I'm praying that you would have wisdom. I'm praying that you have understanding. I pray that God would do his will in your life. There's a lot of prayers we can pray when we're not sure what to pray for someone. So Nehemiah says, Lord, remember Remember what you said. I believe that you keep promises because you are a covenant-keeping God. Not only does he keep his promises, we can also safely trust God because he's a mercy keeper. He keeps mercy to those that love him and observe his commandments. Psalm 32.10 says, Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. The word compass, that's the same word that, um, what happened to Jonah when he got thrown overboard? The water compassed him about. He was completely surrounded by it. That's the picture of a Christian who's completely surrounded by the mercy of God. God's mercies are new every morning. Sometimes we wake up and all we see are the problems. We see the, heart, the heartaches. We see the difficulties of life. We see the problems that we've got to deal with for the day. Let us always remember The Lord's mercies are new this morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And as you start thinking that way, Lord, you've been good to me today. I'm going to find something to rejoice in. It's amazing how he just opens our eyes and we start seeing thing after thing after thing. We have so much to be thankful for. God has shown so much mercy. We're drowning in God's mercy. And Nehemiah said, God is a mercy-keeping God. I don't know about you, but when I have a problem, usually with myself, I have a problem with myself, I don't like to open up and admit that to certain people in my life. You know, there's certain people that you know when you go to talk to them, they're just going to say, suck it up, buttercup. They're going to say, you know, it'll get better before you die. You know, they, they just have, just heartless. You know, you go to them and they're like, I got life figured out, don't you? 
Those are not the people I take my problems to. I take my problems to people who show mercy. And God is someone who shows mercy. You say, well, I've sinned against the Lord. I can't go to him. Go to God. He has promised he will forgive when we confess our sin. He will show mercy again. You say, well, I'm not worthy to go. No, you're not. But Jesus was worthy to go into the Holy of Holies. And when he died, that curtain was opened up. And we can boldly go into the Holy of Holies. And we can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. So what's your need? What do you need? We all need mercy. But you can go to God and you'll know he's not going to drop a hammer on you. Because he's a mercy-keeping God. You can go to him. We must trust God if we're going to make a difference for him. We must trust the Holy Spirit to convict men of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. We can trust that God will lead us to a soul who's looking for him. We must trust God to work in the heart of those who have heard the gospel numerous times but rejected it. But we can trust him because he's kept his promises and he is a God that keeps mercy ready in store for us. Not only does Nehemiah trust God, but he prays to God. What a neat prayer. At our home church in Shelby, North Carolina, um, our pastor, Pastor Davidson, he's had a a theme of prayer this last year, 2023. And just from the the get-go to the end, uh, just emphasizing prayer all throughout the year. This is a really neat prayer that Nehemiah prays here. A lot of it packed in there. You see his burdened heart. You see his relationship with God. You see his concern that he has. Now, he didn't just pray one time and say, Lord, do something about this problem in Jerusalem. I'm sad about it. Do something about it. And then he went on his merry way and went back to his work and back to his play. No, he was concerned about it because in chapter 2, it says that he was up there serving King Artaxerxes and he was sad. And the king said, Why are you sad? Why is your countenance sad? Seeing thou art not sick, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Four months have gone by since Nehemiah first heard this news. This was not just, well, I'm sad this week, but I feel better next week. For four months, this was weighing on Nehemiah's heart. Lord, do something. Remember your promise. If we'll get things right, you'll bring us back to the land. You'll heal the land. You'll do what you've promised. You'll keep mercy for us. And this was just weighing on Nehemiah. He didn't turn to Facebook or to Netflix or or to his phone just to distract him from the the sadness of heart that he had, the burden that he had. He said, you know what, this, this is important. I'm going to pray about this. And this weighed on him. For four months, he was concerned. He wanted to see the place where God had said his name to be restored. It's easy to forget, but Nehemiah kept this concern close to his heart. Throughout Nehemiah's prayer, you see him confessing. Confessing a lot of things. First, he confesses who God is. He uses several names for God and who he was. Nehemiah said, I'm a sinner. It's not just my people have sinned, but I have sinned as well. We look at our country and we see things on the news. We see things on social media and say, wow, we live among a bunch of sinners. And sometimes we compartmentalize ourselves away and say, well, I go to church. I'm a Baptist. I believe the Bible. I'm not like them. Well, sure, there may be some differences here or there, but ultimately, haven't we all sinned against God? Haven't we all, haven't we all um, disobeyed his word? And so Nehemiah, he says, I'm not exempt. 
I've sinned as well. And I need God to restore and forgive me. And God, would you do that for my country? Would you do that for my, for my neighbors? Nehemiah confessed his sin and the sins of Israel. And he believed God would forgive. So if we're going to make an impact in our world, we must pray. We must pray. Pray the Lord to send laborers. Pray for boldness to share the gospel. Pray for doors of opportunity to open up to us. Pray for strength when it's difficult, when people would oppose us. We need to pray regularly, fervently, and pray righteously. Because the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Not only this, Nehemiah knew people, the situation that was going on. He knew God. He trusted God. He prayed to the Lord. But Nehemiah said, you know what? I'll volunteer to do something. You pick that up in the last verse of chapter 1, uh, verse 11. It says, prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day. Lord, prosper me. Help my path to go well. Uh, let me do something about this. He volunteers to go. In chapter 2, we see that he goes before the king and the king says, what's going on? You look sad. Are you plotting to kill me or something? And uh, Nehemiah, oh, oh, no, no, no. No. What does he say in verse 3? Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it please the king, and if thy servant has found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchres, that I may build it. He said, Send me. King, the reason why I'm sad is because my hometown is falling apart, it's destroyed. The places where my fathers are buried is desecrated and I want to go and honor them and I want to get things right back there. That's why I'm sad. Would you let me go and do something about this? Now, we don't have to go to our earthly king to say, you know, can we help, can we help fix this or that? But we can go to our heavenly father and say, Lord, send me. There's a problem in our world. I want to do something about it. I've prayed about it. It bothers me. Would you send me? Would you do something? So that way I can go. Nehemiah could have offered others to go. I mean, he was pretty high up in the palace. He, was, he had the, the ear of the king. He could get things done that other people would work a lifetime to do by just going to the king. His was not a fake concern. This bothered him and he said, I'll go. Would you send me? Would you let me go? You see, long before this day in the court arrived... Nehemiah had surrendered to go. This was not a split second, oh, could, would you send me? And then I can go do something about it. I think for four months, Nehemiah had been praying, Lord, I'm willing to do something. If the opportunity arises, I want to go and I want to rebuild this city. I want to see your name glorified in Jerusalem. I think Nehemiah had surrendered long before the day came where the king says, what are you asking for? Nehemiah prays and Nehemiah responds. Volunteering for the service meant leaving his job, leaving his home, even leaving life in Shushan. I'm sure it was quite a posh life compared to what the, the Jews in Jerusalem were living. You might think, well, I'm not able to do what Nehemiah did. I see that there's a lot to do for God and I, I would like to do something, but I'm not in a position. I'm not a cupbearer to the emperor of Persia. You know, I don't have a high up position. Well, have you volunteered yourself to the king of kings? And he said, Lord, I'll go. 
Some can pray, some can give, some can send, and some can go. What are you doing? Have you volunteered, Lord, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do it. Keep plugging away at my job here, I'm going to do it. Send me to the other side of the country, I'll do it for you. Whatever the Lord wants. There's so much potential. So the question we should ask this morning is, what can I do? What can I do? God has given us the gospel of salvation to take to our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. We can make an impact, not by sharing nice things, but by giving the gospel to them and saying, this is how you can have eternal life. This is how you can have forgiveness and have the guilt of your sin wiped away. This is how you can have peace with your creator. This is how you can have meaning in life. It's only found in Christ. You can make an impact by giving the gospel. Every place that we see hurting, broken people looking for the meaning of life, we can make a difference. We can learn a few things from Nehemiah if we're going to make an impact for God in our broken world. So what can I do? Well, take time to know people. We could bury our head in the sand and that would be a little easier sometimes. Sometimes it is better just to shut off the news. And say, I have enough worries to think about. I don't have to bear all the cares of the whole world on my back. There is a place for that. But see people where they are. And see the hurt and the destruction sin has brought into their lives. Take time to pursue knowing God. Spending time with Him. Like Moses spent time with God on the mountain, came down out of the mountain, his face was glowing. People knew he had been with God. People should know that we've been around the Lord we should let the Lord live through us. It's not the life that I live, but it's the life that Christ liveth in me that will really impact other people's lives. So pursue knowing God. Read His Word. You'll learn, you'll learn to see how God keeps His promises. And because I'm so certain God keeps His promises in the Bible, I can be certain God keeps His promises in my life. And I can trust Him for my life. Trust God to use us to help others. Pray for God to save the lost souls around us and volunteer. Say, Lord, I might be doing what I'm doing right now for the rest of my life, but I'm volunteering, Lord, whatever you want me to do. Just, just use me. Send me. Let me do something. Let me do it where I'm at here. I'll let you direct me to wherever you want me to be. Whatever we have, put it at God's disposal. And through us, God will make an impact in our world. Isn't it exciting we get to do something? We don't just come and tread water going to church. We have, we have a goal. We have meaning. We have a drive and an impulse. We get to do something for our Lord. And we get to do that today. We get to do that this week. And so this morning, I, you came to church, and I don't know, there's probably a thousand things on all of our minds as we come into church. There's a whole people outside of these walls that need Christ. And they need someone knowing God and living for the Lord to share the Lord with them. Let's be those people. Let's volunteer and let God make an impact on our world through us. Pastor?